Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we are very excited about the guests that we have on today. We have two guests. Tom Jackson, the CEO of Edison Learning, and Kieran Athota, CEO of Focal Point K-12. How are you both doing this morning? Just fine. Wonderful. Thank you. Excellent. And before we jump into um, the topic that we want to cover today, if you could give our audience, and we'll start with Kieran, a little bit of background on yourself and on Focal Point K-12, and then we'll let Tom introduce himself, and then we'll dive into some questions. Sounds good. Uh, my, game, my name is Kiran Atuda. I'm the CEO for Focal Point K-12. Uh, personal background, I've been uh, in education industry you know, 15 plus years. Uh, I'm not an educator, uh, more a technologist uh, doing uh, education for, for a while now. Uh, the, the background on the company of Focal Point is Focal Point is Pretty young company, uh, seven-year-old. Uh, we are a learning analytics platform. Uh, the com- the uh, DNA of the company is data. A lot of uh, analysis and data on student performance, student learning, uh, student uh, interactions with the system. We provide uh, a platform that helps uh, schools, districts, content providers, with that analysis uh, on what uh, is working and uh, how they can improve on on the on, on on the teaching and learning that happens. Perfect. And Tom. Well, uh, good morning, and uh, good morning to my my good good friend and partner um, to uh, Kieran Athoda. Uh, my name is Tom Jackson. Uh, I am president and CEO of Edison Learning. Uh, good morning, JW. Um, as Kieran indicated, I'm not an educator by training. I'm actually a lawyer by training. Uh, I joined Edison Learning about 13 years ago uh, as its general counsel and progressed as its uh, chief operating author and ultimately as its president and CEO and owner of the company. Um, but uh, Edison Learning has been in the education um, arena for um, the better part of um, a generation, um, nearly 30 years ago, uh, with the start of uh, what became known at the end of the last millennium as the education reform movement, and um, dedicated to the principle that um, education was both art and science, uh, and that um, uh, the measuring of uh, teaching and learning uh, was an integral part uh, to ensuring uh, that every student um, is entitled to um, an excellent and world-class education. And um, so um, we've been at this for, as I said, the better part of a generation. And um, we, in 2008, um, uh, acquired a company uh, that uh, was an online education uh, company uh, called Provost. And so we've been in, uh, involved in online education and ed tech uh, for the better part of a decade. Um, and uh, believe uh, strongly in not only ed tech, but uh, educational equity 
um, as part of EdTech, ensuring that students have access, every student has access to high quality content and teaching and learning, whether in, the, in a brick and mortar classroom or online. And um, we're very, very happy and pleased to be partners with uh, uh, Kieran Nathota and uh, Focal Point K-12. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit more about the partnership. What does that look like and what does each company bring to the table in this partnership? For educate, for Edison Learning, um, you know, Focal Point K-12 um, helps us move to really the next generation of online learning. It is a, a, a ubiquitous and dynamic platform that uh, relies on blockchain enabled credentialing, um, which is a wonderful technology that Kieran and his team have brought uh, alive in education. And I'll let Kieran address that. But what it, what it allows us to do is to deliver um, our more than uh, 170 uh, grade six through 12 courses uh, in a way that um, uh, that interacts with uh, you know student information systems for it, uh, districts, um, as I said ubiquitously, uh, whether regardless of the platform that they're using, allows us to deliver it. It also allows uh, our teachers, um, sixty plus teachers and advisors and tutors, to interact and engage students um, in a way that is dynamic, uh, professional, and personal. Um, and um, and so we're, as I said, pleased to be able to, to join with Focal Point uh, K-12 uh, and to be able to deliver um, high quality content uh, to students, uh, whether they're in the classroom, uh, whether they're in at home in their dining room, um, whether they are homeschooling uh, or whether they are attending um, a district school. And I'll jump in there and, and ask the follow-up question to Kieran. For our audience that is uh, pretty diverse, at a basic level, what what is blockchain, uh, you know, technology, and and what is it bringing to the K twelve market through Focal Point K twelve? Sure, I'm glad to answer that, uh, J W. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, I'm, uh, personally uh, I feel uh, uh, the technology of blockchain is is a great uh, enabler uh, for education. Uh, particularly uh, in the field of uh, online remote learning. Uh, what blockchain uh, uh, technology uh, is about is uh, having a, a public ledger, right? I mean, so having something that is open, that is easily verifiable, uh, but also is secure and uh, foolproof uh, that cannot be changed, right? I mean, so, so think about uh, having a, a, a system, just like internet is a foundation for all the connectivity now, right? Think about a, a ledger system that is built on the technology where if you put in any records uh, that need to be verified, uh, uh, that can be easily done, not just in the United States, but globally, right? So the blockchain technology was uh, very much uh, used in healthcare systems, in financial systems, in, in a lot of other areas. It's very new to education, but what we're seeing now is, you know, a lot of these um, use cases from student credentialing, teacher certifications, I mean, uh, transcripts, a lot of these uh, 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 use cases where there is always a aspect of verification that needs to be done 
that could be moved to a blockchain environment. Uh, I think that's something that we are seeing a lot uh, uh, of appetite right now, a lot of use cases and projects that are kicking off in different uh, uh, sectors. I mean, you know, higher education and K-12, uh, I mean, adult education aspects of it too. Absolutely. And a quick follow-up question, is the blockchain technology mostly being used for credentialing or what are kind of the, the most common use cases for blockchain? So, I mean, you know, just like, uh, uh, you know, early adopters, right? I mean, so it's primarily, you know, uh, the what we've seen in the industry is, you know, districts, schools, administrators are looking at opportunities to get their hands wet, uh, right? Feet wet, sorry. Uh, to to take something which is a low risk in that sense uh, and and start uh, getting getting into so uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, student credentialing teacher credentialing certifications uh, coming onto blockchains but uh, as uh, as the technology gets gets deeper into education systems. Uh, there are a lot more uh, use cases that will come in. That's what I mean. You know, in terms of transcripts or in terms of uh, 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 learning records. I mean, you know, uh, where the student can own those records and have those records portable uh, uh, is, is is next level of use cases that we are hearing. That's great. And now I've got to ask the question that has been asked for almost a year now, and we can start with Tom. How has the pandemic changed education? We'll start at a macro level, and, and then we'll get into some more specifics. But what are the biggest changes you've seen in 2020? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, JW. At the highest level, uh, it's taken education um, out of the classroom and, as I say, into the dining room, um, into the home. And it's done it in a way uh, and at a speed uh, that um, I think um, we simply could not have done without um, this sort of national emergency. Um, the trend was towards more personalized education, but that, that meant something very different. Did not necessarily mean online education um, uh, in, its, in its truest sense. It meant essentially digital textbooks, right? Um, and so teachers who have never been trained um, how to teach in a remote learning environment, um, you know, have, have now um, been sort of um, pushed, dragged, um, kicking and screaming into this environment, as well as teachers, as well as students and parents. So if you look at the very distinct role, um, the role of the teacher has changed because the teacher now has to learn how to teach in, in a remote learning environment. The role of the t student has changed uh, because the student, um, all students now have to learn um, how to learn in that environment. The role of the parent has changed um, because before the parent could essentially quote, drop off the student um, and the teaching and learning would happen um, uh, distinct from the, the parent um, uh, only to the extent that the parent had to be involved for, you know, for homework. Uh, and now the parent has to be uh, much more engaged. And even as administrators, um, it's changed because administrators have to um, determine how to evaluate teach, whether effective teaching and learning is occurring um, in a remote environment. So um, so it, 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 there's been um, a seismic shift uh, uh, in um, as a result of the pandemic. 
Um, the question becomes, um, is that an episodic shift or whether we see that as, um, we, whether we see uh, some, some aspects of that as more permanent. Um, and I do think that uh, there are aspects of it which, uh, which will remain um, even after the pandemic. Um, but uh, I do see uh, most of what will occur uh, will be more uh, what I would call blended learning, um, uh, the use of, of uh, online courses more in the classroom uh, as opposed to the, uh, the, um, the, you know, the wide scale adoption of, uh, of online learning uh, it, as it exists in the pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, definitely, I echo with what Tom uh, mentioned in terms of uh, how uh, online learning uh, has become uh, the mainstream uh, from a uh, uh, technology point of view, uh, you know, the, the demands for, for this uh, online learning really, really uh, set some, some guidelines and some, some benchmarks out there, uh, particularly to do with uh, the scale, right? I mean, so, you know, online learning used to be a segment of, uh, of the student population that was uh, doing online. Uh, what uh, has changed suddenly is that, you know, the majority of it is online. So what that means is that it's the systems, uh, the scaling of the systems. And it's just not just scaling in the sense, you know, more people, more students are using it, but scaling in many fronts, you know, uh, the, you know, students uh, having uh, access to this learning on their devices. You know, it could be an iPad or a phone or a laptop uh, uh, that, you know, the availability of that, uh, uh, learning uh, based on the time of the day uh, the you know more importantly the, the the learning material that is being presented uh, needs to be engaging you know how would you keep a learner uh, online uh, for that much of a time when they are, are used to learning through classrooms right I mean so the, all that aspects really came out uh, uh, of the closet if you will <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, these are the things that are the challenges for all the providers and the company learning, e-learning companies who are going to look at this and, and, and really address some of these aspects. And the key aspect uh, is obviously, you know, uh, on measuring uh, what's happening out there. Right? I mean, you know, I come from a business background myself. If you can't see what's happening, then you cannot improve. Right. I mean, so, I mean, you know, the, the, the aspect of uh, uh, capturing what's happening out there is a very, very important aspect. And uh, I think a lot of businesses, educational providers are looking at the data. And I think uh, the future, I mean, there's going to be a lot more adaptations of it. Yeah. And, okay. and I'm sorry, JW, and, and sort of the, to further to Kieran's point, um, you know, it's it. it the, the explosion of online learning obviously is is beyond the K-12 um, into post-secondary when you talk about what's happening at the university level, where more and more, um, you know, traditional colleges, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, um, you know, are, are now offering, um, you know, online degrees, um, and they were sort of headed in that direction, um, you know, in, in, in some respect with online courses. But uh, the pandemic has sort of accelerated that 
um, that environment. And then what you also have is an explosion of uh, career education courses where you have more and more uh, folks who've started their career who uh, now have uh, access to a wider array of, uh, of online courses uh, that will um, help them deepen their knowledge in their chosen field. Um, and so um, while I think in the K-12, you'll see much more blended arrangements, I do think in post-secondary and the career uh, that um, you know, what we see now is only a glimpse of, of the future. We'll see more and more uh, um, online uh, courses, degrees, certifications, and we'll and um, and and I do see um, the more uh, sort of mature educators, those in their career or those who have chosen uh, college. I do see them uh, exercising uh, that online environment much more in that in in that case. Absolutely, and I think we're also seeing uh, the demand for quality increase exponentially. No question um, about that as well. Yeah, there was a, a much forgiveness in March, April, May. Uh, over the summer, you know, there was a little bit of a break. And, and in the fall, the expectations may be unfairly to educators who were trying to g- catch up very quickly, especially our teachers on the front lines getting that PD they desperately need now and continuing on um, and, and moving into this spring. I know the expectations are going up uh, at the school level, at the individual learner level, adult learners. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen the same thing. And I want to ask Kieran, um, that expectation of data, that expectation of infrastructure um, has also gone up. And I feel like that conversation hasn't been as prominent as the curriculum conversation. Um Give us a little bit of your insights as to uh, what you're seeing as far as those uh, behind-the-scenes uh, technologies and those expectations increasing exponentially as well. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, JW, that's a good good one for me to talk about because I've been uh, talking to several uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, companies, providers. Uh, you know, part of what Focal Point does is uh, you know, we, we inform the learning, teaching and learning that's happening. Uh, we deliver learning, uh, you know, I mean, like Tom talked about, you know, we are ubiquitous in the sense that we connect to a lot of SIS systems out there, LMS systems out there. Uh, uh, we provide single sign-ons and easy of access and responsive and all those aspects. But more importantly, uh, what, uh, you know, uh, is, is essential is, you know, how that learning is happening and how the curriculum, it's, it's not just one piece to this puzzle, not just teacher training. It's about three pieces, right? I mean, it's the student learning, teacher uh, training, and it's about the content too, right? So the analytics need to be done on all the three, right? I mean, you know, is, 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 is the students engaged? Is the student learning at the pace that he's learning? Is the teachers providing that nudges, that, that, that uh, aspect of feedback uh, to the students? And the third aspect is, is the content on, on the point? Is it the right content? Is the content needs to be modified? So those three key attributes really inform that learning, right? I mean, how that learning is happening in that environment. And uh, uh, what uh, uh, we are seeing is, you know, uh, because this disruption, uh, you know, uh, the, the demand for that quality of learning of uh, is, 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 is increasing and it's going to be 
more as we go forward and that will separate a lot of uh, uh, companies who are uh, uh, going to uh, uh, take that as a as a improvement path and then move ahead than the others but I think that's really is going to be uh, forthcoming out of this whole uh, aspect of uh, increased demand for this online learning. And Tom, I'm sure you're chomping at the bit to, to talk more on the curriculum side of those expectations. What have you seen uh, in the market and with your customers? Yeah, it, you sort of, you, you, you introduced this one really well, JW, because it's, it, it merits the point that, uh, that uh, Kieran was making here. There's really a race to rigor. Uh, at this point, um, and particularly in K-12, uh, making sure that um, students not only engaged and teachers not only teaching, but making sure that the curriculum remains sufficiently rigorous uh, to be able to ensure that there's growth and progress um, to the same extent the student might get it in the classroom. And the only way that you can do that is through the kind of analytics um, that uh, Kieran and, and uh, Focal Point K-12 provide, um, which is on-time, in-time uh, data so that you're not capturing data for data's sake, but you're actually getting that data in, in real time um, so that you can make sure that students are not only engaged, but they're actually learning. Uh, and so uh, they really, the, the what's happening in curriculum um, is the sort of kissing cousin to what's happening in data, um, uh, making sure that uh, that you get the right kind of data to drive, um, you know, and ensure that you have a rigorous curriculum and that students are actually learning. The, 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 the days of the digital textbook defining online learning uh, are gone. Um, the curriculum has to be engaging, has to be responsive. Um, to the needs of the students. And fortunately for us in Edison Learning, you know, we were in that direction, uh, um, you know, long ago when we uh, entered the area of credit recovery, um, uh, where we focused on students who um, were, um, you know, had insufficient credits to graduate from high school or who had dropped out. Uh, and we knew we needed to collapse the time um, uh, uh, required for them to be able to um, get the credits that they needed, um, be able to demonstrate the proficiency, and be able to uh, get their high school di diploma. And, um, and so we were down this road in terms of making sure that we, we were on the race to rigor before the pandemic, um, and that we were uh, getting the kind of data analytics that we knew uh, would be um, critical to ensuring that our students were learning and that would be successful in class. And that's a great reminder to our audience that online learning has been around for over two decades. Um, and those companies that have been uh, focused on that and those schools, school district, higher ed institutions that were at least doing some level of online learning were really ahead of the rest uh, when this became more permanent in the spring. Um, talk about some of the big changes that you've seen over the decades that have kind of led to uh, a slow change that's now happening all at once? Yeah, you know, it, it, it really goes back to um, what was the phrase distance learning, um, you know, that actually dates back to the 60s, um, you know, when, uh, you know, you'd see on the back of a, a serial card in a comic book, you know, that you could get your distance uh, degree and it had 
at that point uh, really sort of a negative connotation to it, right? And um, it wasn't really until about, as you point out, uh, a couple decades ago um, that, um, you know, the, the uh, specter of, um, uh, of uh, surrounding um, online learning became, uh, began to change with um, the, the, when distance learning uh, switched to be called, uh, you know, virtual learning um, and ultimately what we call today online learning. Uh, but in all of those concepts, um, what 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 you would see if you signed on would be um, effectively, um, you know, a PDF of your textbook, um, and um, and so um, uh, you know, I, I think the educators of the day, um, you know, saw that um, not even as supplemental, as essentially an alternative if you didn't if you didn't have your book with you. Um, and where it's where it's matured today is that um, you know with the homeschool movement, um, which is um, you know just been uh, just exploded over the last couple of decades, uh, and the the demand for um, as I said rigorous curriculum and true um, progress in, in student learning, what you have today is um, you know the uh, the fact that. You know, your computer can be your classroom um, and um, the, the curriculum that you are learning can, um, you know, adjust to um, the strengths and weaknesses that you have. Um, I think what people like um, Focal Point will take us into, Focal Point K-12 will take us into, is really uh, not only just the world of data, but the use of, uh, of uh, the real use of AI type of technology. Uh, where um, the online learning becomes much more adaptive. Um, we all have, um, you know, children who are, and perhaps even ourselves, you know, who are um, particularly good at one subject or one aspect of a subject. They're, they have a strength, um, and then in another, they have a weakness. And at Edison Learning, we began to think through this concept of stage, uh, not age. That is, uh, being able to understand that students are maybe at an advanced stage in, say, mathematics uh, beyond their age of, um, you know, 10 years old, which would put them in uh, third or fourth grade. They may be at, you know, doing mathematics at a sixth or seventh grade level, uh, but they may have an understanding of science um, right at their age grade level or, or below. And so this concept of, of um, being married to uh, your age uh, and a particular grade and letting that drive your progress. What the promise of true online learning that is adaptive allows us to do is to match the strengths um, and sure up the weaknesses based upon the student as opposed to based upon this arcane view that age, uh, grade, and stage are the same. They are, they are not for everyone, and we've all known that for a long time. Um, so um, the, I think that this, con this evolution from the 60s, uh, where it was distance learning, to um, the use of AI is inevitable, uh, which will uh, allow us to get to stage, not age, uh, learning. And I think that's just going to be powerful for us as a society. I love that. And not just one student's strengths and weaknesses in different subject matter areas, but different students at different levels in the same classroom and giving teachers those resources to be able to meet those students 
below grade level, but also those above and continue to uh, challenge them is is really exciting. Uh, I like to say that this is the the dawn of the golden age of education and not just online learning, but learning uh, because we're really going to be able to bring together these uh, amazing technologies with the instructional design and the, the teaching practices that we have in this new hybrid model. Um, but that also, and this is my question for Kieran, uh, exposes uh, in 2012, we anticipated by 2020, every student would have a device and we would have digital equity. And uh, at the beginning of 2020, we were certainly not there. I think we've uh, advanced three to five years in the first three to five months of the pandemic and closed the gap, but it's it's still work to be done. What have you seen as far as digital equity, digital access, and the progress we've made, and, and what more do we need to be doing in 2021? Yes, I mean, and again, you said it right. I mean, you know, we took, uh, uh, you know, three, four years of uh, 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 effort and put it kind of condensed it into three, four months. So, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, really, I mean, you know, the disruption and, and, and equity uh, on uh, devices uh, you know, we are not fully there. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we could check the checkbox saying that, you know, you know, students have the ability to access content online. I mean, you know, obviously, um, uh, there are a lot of uh, issues uh, based on where you, who the students are and where they are. And uh, um, it could be device, it could be internet, it could be training, it could be, uh, uh, you know the the availability of the space for them to focus on learning. So there's so many uh, factors uh, that define that. Uh, we you know because we talk to uh, uh, state customers and you know we talk to districts, we kind of see a different uh, a wide spectrum in terms of uh, uh, the accessibility and you know equity uh, for for the online learning. Uh, you know. Um, there's not not going to be sugarcoating it. We have a long way to go there, but I think uh, what this uh, pandemic has done is uh, kind of channeled all the resources in the right direction. Uh, think uh, uh, you know we will definitely see few more adaptations of this, but I think uh, the, it is in the right direction uh, from many perspectives. Absolutely. And Tom, same question, and maybe in a little different light, um, especially in policy, we've seen rules and regulations uh, change very quickly to address this need. And I think we've seen what is capable, and we can't unsee that. Um, You know, a lot of uh, education moves slowly, uh, especially at the systemic level, and we've broken through a lot of barriers. What do you see in 2021 and beyond as uh, the next breakthroughs that we're going to be seeing? You know, I, I think if I can just borrow a little bit off of, of Kieran's point, um, I think that, um, you know, the, the pandemic actually um, rubbed the scab off of, um, you know, an, an, an issue that has existed in education, um, frankly, from the very beginning, um, since, um, you know, um, Madison argued for public education uh, and and argued for public uh, for equity in education. Um, the fact of the matter is is that you know we had this view that um, you know that the the education divide was really much more about um, you know urban versus uh, suburban and 
what we uh, have come to understand that is that the need uh, in rural communities, frankly, uh, is as great as the need in, in uh, many urban areas uh, where uh, you not only need access to devices, but you need access to an infrastructure that connects to those devices. Uh, and um, as a society, um, you know, we have uniformly, um, you know, um, all but ignored the question of how do we ensure that the, the infrastructure get, exists um, you know, across both rural and urban areas as, a, as opposed to simply suburban, uh, where you can cure it with the absence of, uh, of devices. Um, and so um, I think what going forward, what it challenges us to do is perhaps even think of infrastructure in a different way. Um, in rural communities, uh, we can't lay enough cable uh, and fiber uh, in fast enough to ensure that students uh, in rural communities stay on grade. Um, and so uh, the technology has to step up uh, to be able to deliver uh, wirelessly um, uh, the kind of connectivity that's going to be required in, in, uh, in rural areas. Uh, in urban areas, um, it was fantastic to see um, tech, some of the uh, uh, tech companies like um, uh, Comcast and others uh, step up to offer deep discounted connective services for students uh, and their parents to ensure that students could connect. But, um, you know, that's really just not going to be enough because the bandwidth that they offered doesn't allow for the kind of connectivity to the, to the curriculum, to the audio and visual um, materials that students are going to need. And so I think that what uh, the next generation of all of this really requires us to do is to understand that um, location matters, um, that if we really are a society dedicated to education and equal access to education, uh, that we have to ensure uh, that the infrastructure exists uh, so that all students can connect uh, in an, in an uh, equal way and that they have uh, sufficient devices, um, you know, to be able to, um, uh, you know, to, uh, to learn and bring that classroom uh, to them. Um, uh, uh, and I, I love Kieran's point earlier here about the fact that connectivity is not just through your laptop, but through your cell phone um, or whatever other device that they use going in the future. And connectivity is not just for students. Parents need to be connected as well. Uh, that's the, the, the other area you guys touched on earlier is the seismic shift in the parents' role and involvement in education, I think, is another area we're not going to uh, go back completely from. Um, while hopefully we're back in, in schools and the hybrid model in the fall, parents were still going to be much more involved in the curriculum and the decisions and in a much more informed way and also much more appreciative of the, the teachers and of the schools and the jobs that they do. Um, what do you guys see as far as the future of parent involvement and, and maybe here in the spring when it's, it's still going to be very taxing on a lot of parents? What resources are out there to help them? You know, it's, it's, it's a great point because um, you have to think about parent involvement from two perspectives. You have uh, the parent who is involved, uh, and that parent uh, graduated from a high school or in college, and or you know, um, you know, has an advanced degree. That's one level of parent involvement that, um, in some respects, has already been there, but it's been there at a homework level, 
And that parent is going to have to be more engaged, um, obviously more engaged um, to supplement uh, the teacher, uh, what the teacher is doing and to ensure that the student remains engaged. Um, uh, but what this is also underscoring is that you have a, a tremendous number of parents, and this is consistent in rural and urban environments, um, who uh, themselves should be adult learners. Um, they did not graduate from high school. They, uh, the student uh, that is uh, trying to learn online uh, may be the very first student in uh, his or her family uh, to actually graduate uh, from, um, from high school. Um, and so uh, in that instance, um, you know, uh, there's an opportunity uh, to not only reach that student and help them, them graduate from high school, but also help that parent, um, you know, uh, 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 exceed to the next level of their education. Um, that parent, more often than not, is going to be reticent uh, to get uh, involved in, in, in helping their student learn because, you know, they didn't um, take Algebra 2 or Algebra at all. They, they in, in many rural areas, um, the average uh, uh, graduation, uh, average age of education is middle school, you know, um, seventh or eighth grade. Um, and so how does that seventh or eighth parent who had a seventh or eighth grade education help that student who's in the 10th grade and who's learning online? Um, so we're going to, we're going to have to, to look at the role of the parent very differently, understanding the demographic of parents and um, and helping them based upon uh, where they are as well. Absolutely. And some good news, uh, some recent research has come out uh, that as uh, lower socioeconomic students are getting the access they didn't have, are getting better bandwidth, they're taking advantage of it. They're using uh, that uh, opportunity three to four times more uh, than students that maybe take that granted uh, for granted the uh, access to the uh, internet, the access to the devices. Uh, so hopefully that helps us close the, the divide as well. Speaking of good news, uh, I always like to, to wrap up uh, an episode with a, a half glass full uh, or a success story or two. Um, I'll open the floor to either of you. Uh, if there's a good story from 2020 of uh, a school district, a student um, persevering through these challenges and, and really having success in 2020. Yeah, I'll go first if you if you don't mind, Karen. Um, and mine is a is a broader story. As I as I've indicated, um, for better or part of a decade, uh, we have been Edison Learning has been involved in um, you know credit recovery and uh, helping students who have um, who have um, uh, dropped out of uh, of high school. Um, typically, um, you know they're two and a half years behind cohort uh, to um, um, to help and helping them to graduate, um, get their high school diploma, go on to college. And um, the first point I would make here is that uh, at the end of this current school year, we expect to graduate our 5,000th student uh, who would have uh, 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 dropped out, who did drop out and would not have graduated. We will have graduated our 5,000th student uh, in that category. So we're very, very excited to hit that, uh, that, that, landmark. Um, and probably the epitome of that um, is a student that um, I helped to uh, enroll uh, in one of our enrollment efforts. And, um, you know, she uh, was actually living in a car 
uh, with uh, her two uh, uh, siblings. Her mother um, had been um, uh, in and out of uh, drugs, and um, she was a, ended up being a great, great student um, and um, uh, got about $50,000 in scholarships to Ohio State and uh, has gone on to start her own 501c3, um, helping students very much like the student that she was. Um, and um, she graduated through um, our, um, uh, what we call a Bridgegate model, which is a, a blended learning uh, model of uh, you know, combining online and in-person teaching. Um, and so we're very, very excited about what, what is, what's, what's happened with that student. And it really demonstrates you know, how uh, the, not only the challenges that our students have, have but um, how they are able to overcome them with the use of, uh, of uh, online learning and just um, wraparound services and, and, and real engagement with that student. Yes, and uh, uh, if I have, can add, I mean, uh, uh, Tom, that's, that's a great, great uh, story. I mean, uh, really, um, you know, it, it was moving. Uh, 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 particularly in this time uh, when you know uh, you know you feel like because there is no interaction there is no direct connection there are a lot of uh, uh, these students get, that that get lost right I mean it's just number counts right I mean so uh, one thing that I want to uh, mention uh, that uh, from a f from what we have done is uh, is is really take advantage on that uh, 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 help students with that uh, having the disconnection of, of a not having not having the person person interaction, and what we have done uh, that uh, was very very much uh, uh, helpful uh, is on the CTE side uh, uh, where the students uh, who were uh, in high schools uh, constantly needed that that internships right I mean the part of their curriculum is going on to this uh, internships uh, where it's face to face and where they're learning things at the field. Uh, what uh, 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 happened with the pandemic was, you know, really that that, in, that opportunity has been uh, uh, taken away. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of the seniors uh, in schools really looking for, I mean, you know, that, that, that space of what could be part of that. And, you know, we, uh, have worked with uh, several providers putting together, you know, the basic uh, skill sets uh, for them to be job ready, you know, a business communications, uh, uh, I mean, it's a, a course that is just made up with few aspects of it in terms of, uh, you know, how do you write emails, how do you take a job interview, uh, you know, small nuggets of these courses that really uh, were widely uh, liked and used. And uh, I think, you know, there is going to be this um, uh, need for these micro level courses too, right? I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, there are these cores and electives and CTE courses that are essential, but there are going to be need for, you know, courses that really help them for their life skills, right? I mean, uh, those, those things, something that we really felt that uh, uh, helped a lot of these seniors I mean, over the summer and the spring semesters. Absolutely. And I love that uh, these innovative ideas are really pushing us forward. I know there's 
uh, going to be a tendency uh, for next fall if we can get a little bit back to normal to want to go back to 2019. Uh, and 2019 wasn't that equitable or that great for a lot of student populations. And so my hope is that these uh, new ideas, these new infrastructures we're putting into place are really going to propel everyone uh, into the next century of learning. And, and, and we don't uh, give in to that temptation to just move back to the status quo. Kieran, Tom, this has been a great uh, episode. Uh, thank you guys both so much for joining us today. Thank you, JW. Really enjoyed uh, having this conversation. Yeah, thank you, JW. Great to, to speak with you and always good, Kieran, to speak with you. And to my audience, thank you so much for joining us for another great episode. Be sure to check out past episodes uh, on Voices of E-Learning's website, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.